At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash podcast. That's Indeed.com slash podcast. Terms and conditions apply. And welcome to Lanage's podcast, Future Rich. My name is Barbara Ginty, and I am your host and also a CFP, which is a certified financial planner. And I'm very excited about this expert episode. This is one of my favorite attorneys out there. Um, so I'd like to welcome Leslie. Hi, Leslie. Hi, thank you for having me today. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you are, I'll let you do your background, but you are one of my favorites because there are not, in my opinion, that many qualified experts with student loan debt, and you are definitely one of them. Thank you. I appreciate that. Yep, I'm a financial attorney, and I help people with debt problems, and some of those debt problems do include student loans. So we regularly work with federal and private student loans, uh, along with credit cards, personal loans, and, and business debt as well. But yes, we do a lot of student loans. There's a lot of debt out there. There is. Um, and so we have done some stuff before, but I thought today a question that we've been getting a lot from the listeners is what is going on with student loan forgiveness? Is it something we think might happen? Um, and I feel like you keep re I keep reading contradictory information. And yes, you are reading a lot of different information about it because it's a, there are a lot of opinions about it. The reality of student loan forgiveness is that if there was going to be student loan forgiveness, it would be very narrowly focused to federally held student loans. So that's not everybody with student loans. People either have a combination of federal held, federal backed, or private student loans. The federally held loans would likely be the target. Um, with that said, it is, um, I am of the opinion that one should not plan their financial future based on what the government might do. It is not in your best interest to sit and say, well, you know what, they might forgive student loans and if they do so, I might be, I might be the winner in that. The reality is that there are, it's so complex, right. the forgiveness of student loans. It, there, it's an income stream for the US government. Remember, they, they earn Blue money green. on it. You know, yeah. the monies are coming in. So the forgiveness of that could cause 
an issue financially that's not really talked about that much. What's talked about is the burden of student loans. Mm -hmm. And there's no doubt that there's a reality to the amount of people with student loans and the burden of it. But when you start to look and you dive deeply into who has the burden, they, there are questions about whether forgiveness could be considered discriminatory in some ways. Oh. So there, it becomes very complex. It's my opinion that, again, that if there were going to be some changes, you would not see numbers like $50,000. Because if you look at the average federally held student loan, it's not $50,000 because there's a limitation to what you can borrow in federal student loans. In totality of student loans, it might be large. So if they're looking at numbers, the numbers would be substantially lower and they may target certain groups, let's say those who are in the military or frontline workers, things like that. I don't believe that it'll be a sweeping across the board, you know, let's say $10,000, $15,000 forgiveness. And I wouldn't act on that. I would plan very carefully your strategy to pay your student loan debt and say, now's a great time to start the planning process because as of right now, the federal, under the CARES Act, the extension of the 0% interest and non-collectivity um, of the accounts is continuing until September. So now's a good time to say, okay, September's not that far away. It's only 90 days away. Right. And what am I going to do? But again, uh, I get that question a lot too. Well, I, shouldn't I wait to see what the federal government does? So I've been out of law school, well, almost 25 years, and I've, I've heard these things since even when I was in law school. So if I waited, I would never be out of debt. So right. it wouldn't be my advice to wait. If you are one of those who, if they pass some sort of legislation that allows for forgiveness, and if you are part of that, then you benefit. But I wouldn't live by that because the reality is you'll just continue to carry the burden of the debt. And it's more important now to figure out a really good strategy to pay it down and manage it. And if you are one of the ones who fall into that category, then great. What I could see happening are some changes to the public student loan forgiveness programs. You know, some sort of compromises that might come up where they make maybe the public student loan forgiveness program a little bit more inclusive and a little less easier. Some. Yeah, because it's so hard. We have a lot of people that want to do it. I actually recorded a podcast yesterday and her and her husband are probably both eligible for it, but haven't gotten into it because every time they've looked at the paperwork, they said they felt overwhelmed. Oh. I heard such bad stories about it. They're like, well, it probably isn't even worth it because the rate of forgiveness, which has gotten better. It has. I, yeah. I do know some people, I have met people who've, who've um, gotten their student loans forgiven. It does require management and it does require focus and paying attention to it. You have to resubmit the paperwork every year once you set it up. And if you are a relatively capable individual, you can be walked through the process and set it up. You have to make sure that your employer participates in that and that you keep track of the payment so that in case at the end of the process, they don't have, they, they say, oh, you missed a payment in July, 2020. You can go back and say, nope, here's my payment. I can show you that it cleared. And the same thing goes, the other piece of advice I would recommend if somebody's in public student loan forgiveness is overpay it. So if you calculated you're at the 120 month mark, continue paying until you receive the letter that says that you have been forgiven and it'll be refunded to you. Because, oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, you don't want to take a chance that you miscalculated. And then right, all of a sudden you have a 
Yeah, because if you missed a payment, it, it works against you. It can. So not during COVID. So yeah. um, so everybody knows that during COVID, that was told, meaning it was there was no requirement to make that, and it would still count towards public student loan forgiveness. So I'm actually a fan of federal student loans, to be honest with you. I find them a great opportunity to fund an education with lots of opportunities to pay it back and lots of opportunities to manage it. Um, it's, you know, it's... It, I'm not saying that everyone should go out and take out a loan and put themselves in debt, but when we're looking at the different financial tools that are available to pay for higher education, a federal student loan is a, a very easy tool to use and help out. My own children have federal student loans. I had three kids in college at the same time, and it allowed me an opportunity to have a little bit of a breathing room as I was paying for all of their expenses and their college tuition. Federal student loans do not cover the uh, entire amount of education by far, depending on what schools, that the, where you're going for an education. But with that said, it, it's, it can be used in conjunction with lots of other tools to pay for college if you could do good planning. But again, going back to the original issue about are student loans gonna be forgiven? I, I just don't remain optimistic. I know it's a big platform and everybody talks about it and there's a lot of student loan debt out there but I'm just not optimistic that that's, and that's why I think the president has, for lack of better word, and it's not a criticism, uh, either backtracked or has, uh, I mean, he, he has a lot of things on his agenda, yeah. and this is one of them. This is certainly something that he's talked about, but I think when you dive deep into the issues, like when you really get in there and you look at the, the revenue stream that the government gets from it and who's potentially impacted and what that could mean, I mean, the, you know, the government could end up with tons of lawsuits from different groups if certain groups are not. I mean, well, it, also, it, it, like, what if you took a second job to pay your loan off and then they go and you just paid it off last year, like pre-COVID or something, and then they go and forgive it? That could, right? That would open the government up. Well, it might. You know, you might argue then that's, you know, uh, discriminatory. I mean, you could right. make it, you could try listen, anybody could bring a lawsuit. I mean, yeah. it's whether the lawsuit's viable. That's, that's the reality. Anybody can sue anybody for any reason under the sun and you can sue the federal government. It's just a question of whether it's viable and not-for-profit not groups that regularly monitor government activity would be on top of that. And so I, I think not just the litigation end of it is a concern. I think the concern is what does that really mean? And if they forgave student loans today, and you are gonna take out student loans for next semester, you might say, wait a second, what, I need more student loans and you're gonna forgive everybody who's already taken it, but then I'm, I'm at a disadvantage because I need more loans. So I think that there's a lot more challenges and I'm, um, I'm defensive of the position that it's not a reality or that realistic. Mm -hmm. um, not from a political perspective, but more from a what's what's the reality behind student loans? Yeah, because like, I feel like it's a domino chip, right? So like once it starts to fall, there's all these other ramifications that haven't been addressed. It's not black and white. It's a really right. great campaign. It's, it's a really it riles people up. Everybody has student loans, and it it's it's a great it's a great platform. Yeah. But I don't know that it's that realistic. Now, if we compare that to federally held mortgages from 2008 when the market right. crashed. Right. Remember, those bailouts were not designed, the modification programs were designed to help the bank. They, the, no. the homeowner and the borrower applied and became part of those programs, but the reason why they were put into place was so that those federally 
backed and held mortgages didn't fall apart because of, you know, that would be problematic. And think about for it. The, for the bank, because then the bank would fail. The bank would, and the government would have to back the bank. And if there's failures on that level, same thing in the student loans, where do you think the money is going to come from to make up the difference? Yeah, no one, no one talks about that. We don't, <laughs> that's not where the money's because coming from. You just don't erase debt. It doesn't get just erased. And then because the, the one who lent the money, now I know it's the government, but I, the one who lent the money is out the money. So mm -hmm. what happens when they were paying bills? Like they're paying social services bills right now and government employee bills. And so if they lose the revenue, certain revenue streams, how do they make up the deficiency in their budget? They're going to have to come back to those they get money from, taxpayers. So I don't know that it's yeah, it's a seesaw. It's not like we can't just eliminate debt and then everybody starts fresh. But it doesn't work that way, yeah, right? No, and it won't work that way. It could be potentially problematic. And again, things are so expensive right now. Taxes are so high to begin with, and they're talking about additional tax hikes. Um, so there's potential for that to be the backlash to forgiveness of federal student loans right. to hit the taxpayer or other things that become more expensive or less programs because a budget cut as a result of not having the funds. Maybe they'll eliminate some federal student lending programs because it's not profitable. And in that case, you leave it to the private lenders to, to fund student loans. And as a result, they're in a, the, you're in a totally different ballgame with private student loans. So the domino effect of making that change, I don't think is realistic. So erase that thought and <laughs> just go figure out. Right. Has, I, you know what I think is something that's really interesting that I feel like has never been brought up? Have, have you heard of anything about maybe where they reduce the interest rate and peg the interest rate to a more reasonable rate, right? So like mortgages are really affordable, but student loans still can go up as like 6.8%, right? Is one of the federal Well, federal student loans are regulated by Congress, so they don't, they don't necessarily go up um, crazy. There's a limitation, but that's, that's one of the compromises I mentioned earlier, that maybe the compromise is that they reduce interest rates um, yeah. to, to one or 2% uh, on the federal loans where it's honestly right now, those federal loans, it's like, it, it, it is free money. So yeah. it would be silly not to have it. And at one or 2%, it's also like free money. You, you would never get a loan ever at those type of interest right. rates. So it's an it's, there are maybe potentially other compromises um, for the overall student loan issue. Um, and I think that it's a complex issue that, and multi-layered issue that isn't just resolved with, okay, we're just going to forgive debt. It's just, just going to take an eraser and we're just going to erase it off the balance sheet and pretend it didn't happen. A redacting pen. I just got, my legal assistant is super excited for a redacting pen where you can redact, take away information on a, yeah. on a piece of paper so that it's not disclosed like social security numbers and things. Yeah. Is it like a super black? A super loan, right? You black line it. Yeah. It didn't happen. We'll pretend this didn't happen. We're going to start over again tomorrow. No one has any debt. I mean, it sounds very attractive, but I understand why it gets so much press. But it is a question we hear often on the podcast. Yeah. Like, well, maybe I shouldn't make my payments because I thought of the pause with interest rate as a real opportunity to get ahead on loans if you have the funds. Yeah, especially if you, there's so many strategies in terms of those student loans. If you have federal loans, and you could take all the money and pay down your private loans. You could pay down high other high interest debt like credit cards. You could wait to the last minute, which is another tip. Wait to the day before the interest kicks in. As far as getting ahead with the federal student loans, you could wait to the day before the interest is due and pay it down. You could 
um, pay anything you want. Now, there's no requirement for payments, yeah. but that doesn't mean you don't, you're not allowed to make payments. You could still make the payments now. And, and I would encourage people to really look at that and, and decide, all right, where am I at? And if you can't make payments and you're still struggling for whatever reason, then be prepared to have your finances together to ask for additional forbearance or income sensitive options. But now's a really good time to, to get that under control. Well, because, yeah, it's a pause. So it gives you an opportunity to, in my opinion, to regroup on your, on yeah. your financial situation and say, okay, we have a breathing period now until it starts again October 1st, I believe, as of now. So yep, have, as of now. You still have a breathing period where there's no interest, you don't have to make a payment, and you can kind of say, okay, what's the best course of action? Right. Right. And I think that this, that's why I said this is a really good time to think about it, strategize about it, crunch your numbers, look at your budget. Um, you have a summer budget. The challenge right now is that a lot of people want to spend money because you haven't spent money. So travel's opened up, um, you know, especially if you're vaccinated, traveling is, you can go to Europe now. And so the, a lot of people want to spend on what they couldn't and didn't spend on last, last summer. Right. So, um, you know, again, prioritizing what you want to do and, and how you're managing your money over the summer. And I think it's a summer that people are going to go a little bit crazy. And I understand. <laughs> I totally understand. We've been locked up for so long. <laughs> right, we've been locked. We haven't been able to buy anything. And we've had no reason to buy anything. Yeah. So it's the summer of spending. And I expect people to, you know, to savings accounts to go, the percentage in savings to, to be reduced. But again, yeah. don't neglect the student loan piece. It, it's a, it is a good opportunity to pay it down and, and try to find a way out of it. Listen, here's my take on student loans. Those are long-term notes. Yep. It's not a short-term, you know, I went to school and I pay it off. They are designed for 20 to 30-year paybacks. It's, it's like a mortgage. So I think one of the ways of viewing student loans has to be adjusted from the consumer perspective that it's a, it's a loan and it's designed for 20 or 30-year repayment. And if you go into it knowing that, so if you've been paying for five or eight years and it's not paid off, then, then that's normal. That's what's where you're supposed to be. And the goal is as you, your career, so you don't have any money, you graduate from college or graduate school and you don't really have any money. And as time goes on and your career does better, the goal is to pay it off sooner. Right. And the challenge has been that as your career grows, your family and other obligations grow, but you have other financial obligations and it makes it challenging to pay it off. The, worst part of it really is the forbearance and deferment because as you are deferring um, the loans if they're continuing to accrue interest that's why the balances go up yeah, so right. i am a fan and i often my tip is to try to make some sort of payment if it's 25 dollars a week 50 dollars a month whatever it is at least pay something so that the balances are not getting that pay the interest um, and figure out what that is and and try to try to budget to at least pay something but that's where the challenge comes in. It, the interest accumulating on um, deferred student loans creates the large amount of balances. Yeah, because I had somebody, because we were doing a lot of podcasting recently, and I had someone say to me, my loan, I've been paying on it, but it's actually higher. I didn't even take out that amount of money. And I was like, well, that's what compounding of interest against you is how. Yeah, yeah that's, the that's, the that's the compounded interest. But when you, most people don't get this kind of financial advice. So when like my kids are always like, you know, they, they're a little bit ahead of the game because they're getting at 18 and 19 and 20, they were getting this kind of advice. Okay. So we were paying $25 a week. We were paying while they were in school. So like a hundred dollars a month and that was affordable. And so, um, 
that a lot of people don't get that kind of advice. They don't know about the compounding interest. They don't know that they can still make a payment because they're not receiving because it says no payment required. So, uh, you know, my sister who went to law school, who has been, has done a very good job at listening recently when she graduated law school and was very stressed about the bar. I was like, you have to, we have to sit down and go over your payment. She's like, oh, I don't, I don't owe a payment. And I was like, no, you, you do owe a payment. She's like, no, they said I don't. And I was like, who are we going to listen to? Your sister who does this for a living or the lender who's going to make money. And she's like, I'm studying for the bar and I cannot be, you know, I do not have time for this. I think she even said to me, I don't have time to wash my hair. I definitely don't have time for this. And I was like, okay. So I understand that with the bar exam. Yeah. So like, it's definitely not, you know, you don't see the light of day for about three months. So I yeah. get her position. It would be great that right after graduation and before the bar review course starts, that that's the time to kind of take a look at it. And there isn't a, a payment due. No, it wasn't, it, but it, it grew. Right, but she yeah. could make a payment if she wanted right. to. Exactly. She, so it's a voluntary payment. And I think a lot of people look at it and say, well, they said I don't have to make a payment, but yes, but they didn't tell you what the consequence is of not making a payment, which is that when you finish taking the bar exam, your balance is going to be that much higher. Yeah, which I feel like they should, because like on credit cards, it tells you that little red box, I think on the bottom, it says, if you make yeah. a minimum payment, you will pay us for 32 years. Yeah, I was like 3,000 months or whatever the number is. They like tell you with the consequence, like this is your action, here's the consequence in black and white. And yeah, with the student loans, I feel like it's definitely not that clear. But just like with it being um, kind of on pause now, because some people are like, well, I don't have to make a payment. I'm like, right, but you can make it. But you could, and you could pay it off. And right. it depends on what your, what your budget is and where you've been and where you're going and what's happening. So it's no two situations are alike. So I'm not uh, a fan of one way to pay off loans. Correct. It really is a very debt resolution in general is not you know, one size fits all. And that's when you work with the right people who will advocate for you and partner with you and understand your personal financial needs to give you the best possible advice um, from a strategy perspective, what works for you. Just because somebody else paid off their loans a particular way doesn't mean that, or they lived in a car for four years so that they could pay off their student loans, that doesn't mean that that's realistic for your situation. And you know, there's no judgment on what works and doesn't work. It's just a matter that there is never a one size fits all because you might have a, a totally different, you might have responsibility to other family members, like older family members, parents or siblings and or your own children or, or you're growing a business or you, um, you know, your industry was really hit hard because of COVID. So it's challenging to get back on your feet after a loss of income. So there are a lot of reasons why it has to shift. And I say this often that um, personal finance is not a flat line. It's, it's, it goes up and down all the time. And throughout one's life, you cannot expect a flat line in or even a trajectory like this. Th there, are, there are setbacks, there are yeah. challenges, there are achievements, there is success, there, there's, uh, they, they go both ways. And at any one time, sometimes you don't even realize that you're experiencing, let's say, an achievement. When I was able to pay off my student loans, I didn't even know it. My accountant called me up and he's like, you know, Leslie, you you could just write a check and pay it off. And I was like, I, you know, I really had my head down. And I was like, really? Okay. So I was like, how much? And I, and I was like, uh, okay. I, I just set it on auto pay and forgot yeah. about it. You could find yourself in a, in a different situation where you're, you're paying and paying and paying. And all of a sudden there's a challenge or an issue where you have to put the brakes on and, and reevaluate what kind of monies are going where. 
And that might mean you need to look for other options. So again, that's not unusual in the world of, certainly world of any kind of personal finance and student loans is, is no, um, nothing that's out of the ordinary. And so I have a question, this might be a silly question, but I feel like a lot of people's stumbling blocks with coming up with a plan for student loans, like it's easy to ignore, right? You make whatever they tell you, when they contact you and say, we want a payment, you make that payment and then you kind of ignore. What would be your advice on like how to come up? If you were gonna sit down and look through everything, how would you come up with the strategy? And keeping in mind that everyone's a little bit different, but like what would be a couple of tips to like how to figure it out? Um, a strategy for the student loans or debt in general? We could say debt in general because student loan would qualify. Yeah, so my recommendation is I like to work backwards. So what type of debt do you have? That's the first question because the paying down of debt has different rules depending on which playground you're in. So the credit cards are very strict about the payment schedule. You have to make the minimum payment. If you don't make the minimum payment, you're charged uh, all kinds of fees and interest. Student loans have a different rules. Federal student loans, like we talked about, have different options if you are challenged. Mortgages have also different options. So if you're challenged you, and you go behind in one or two months, they're not taking your house away. Credit cards, if you went behind one or two months, that's the end of the use of the card. So look at the type, right? So look at the type of debt that you have. So if you, that's the first thing. Where, what debt do I have? And you have to marry that with your budget. You have to take a look at what, your, what you can reasonably put towards the debt and which debts you need to prioritize. Sometimes people say prioritize the high interest debt, but you know what? You might have low balances on high interest debt yeah. and that may not be, make sense. So maybe it makes sense to go towards the larger balances and try to knock that down because then you'll pay less interest over time by reducing the balances and paying more towards principal. So sometimes that's a better strategy Sometimes you have debt that's not on your credit report. So even if it's high interest or high balance, sometimes it just doesn't appear. And if that's the case, then maybe that's not the prioritized debt. Maybe the debt that's on the credit report that's impacting your ability to have a higher credit score is the one that you care about. And the converse to that, you might be in a situation where your credit doesn't matter. You bought a house, you have a car, you're all set. Right. Yeah. So, so you know, not everybody, not everybody needs credit. And not everybody needs credit all the time. Many of my older clients don't need credit at all. That's credit is useless to them. They're never taking out more credit again. So they have, so we, we strategize paying their debts differently. So you need to look at the type of debt, what's in your budget to pay that debt, and what makes sense, you know, how is it impacting you? And, and the payment of the debt, how will that impact you and your goals? So I guess the takeaway for our listeners would be, especially with the student loan forgiveness, which I feel like is top of mind and probably will be top of mind until they come out and make a definitive argument. Forever. Yeah, yeah, or probably forever, probably forever, is to continue to have a strategy to pay off your student loans, uh, take advantage of the current pause that we're in, and then, but overall for debt, really kind of sitting down and understanding what type of debt that you have and how it affects you and then where to come up with the money to pay it off. And I, I would imagine you're probably similar. I always encourage people, it's nice feeling to get the debt down. Like yes. it's, it's to take, like we talked, you said with your financial life, it kind of goes up and down. Taking a couple steps backwards to take a leap forward is usually what feels really good. Yeah, one step back, two steps forward. We tell the clients that all the time. You know, we're, when we're resolving debt for clients, there's always going to be one step back in the beginning, but it's like a fish hook. 
It always comes back if it's done and planned out properly. So it's okay that you're taking one step back. It's okay that you might see a dip in your credit score temporarily. It's okay if some debts are paid and some aren't. It, it's, it's okay. It's just a matter of understanding that the overall goal is to go ahead, but yeah. sometimes it is a step back and that's okay. Yeah, and a step back even maybe in like your lifestyle. Like sometimes yeah. you can take a step back in lifestyle to get ahead with your financial situation. Yeah, so that's um, compromising to get to your goals. Perfect. Well, Leslie, thank you so much for coming on. I really appreciate it. And thank you so much for having me. I always love our conversations. And for all of our lovely listeners, you can find us on Instagram for our most up-to-date information on the Future Rich Podcast and online at www.futurerichpodcast.com. At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place by working more efficiently, by using more sustainable practices, by developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. As humans, we're naturally driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match, with Indeed. When I was looking to hire someone, it was so slow and overwhelming. I wish I had used Indeed. If you need to hire, you need Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. And Indeed doesn't just help you hire faster. 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com podcast. That's Indeed.com podcast. Terms and conditions apply.